Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a minute to give you an update on the podcast. Ida and I started this podcast to give second generation immigrants an outlet to share their stories in a safe and understanding space. More importantly, we believe that sharing these stories and having these conversations publicly is the only way to prove two things. First, as different as we may feel from one another, culturally or religiously, our core challenges in life are not all that different. Second, vulnerability is strength. The amount of positive messages we've received about our guests' stories and the importance of hosting these conversations has been quite overwhelming in a good way. It gives us the motivation to continue bringing on thought-provoking guests and to work through the discomfort of rubbing people the wrong way. Our only ask for you is to tell your friends about the show. Whether that's sharing on social media or sending an episode to a friend, any and all support is welcome. If you yourself want to be on the podcast, you can find a link in the description to submit your story. We've already received several signups and we couldn't be more excited to help our listeners get their story out into the world. Now for this week's episode, it's more like a movie than anything else. Ida and I get deep into conversation with our friend Ruben, someone I consider one of the most resilient and inspirational people I know. His story starts out in his mother's womb, being snuck across the Mexican border in an enclosed, hollowed out section of a truck right by the engine for four hours straight. And that's just the beginning. Ruben talks about being born into the Mexican mob and gang life, the machismo that's present in Mexican culture, spending six months with the rich kids at Palo Alto High School, and a lot, lot more. Besides all the stories that truly left me in disbelief, what really inspired me about the combo is how Ruben took a serious situation that most people would just accept and give into and question it to the point of taking a completely different path in life. To me, Ruben is proof that you can turn extremely difficult circumstances into a positive, productive, and beautiful life. Hope you enjoy the show. touched on it before getting into this what's your cultural background and like how like were you i you were born in the u.s right um mm-hmm. what can you tell us a little bit about your background maybe your parents and like where they came from and like what their experience was coming to the u.s sure um so i was born in garden grove santa Ana, um and then my mom, so she had um, she had my sister in Mexico. So they were my mom is from Mexico City, and my dad is from Michoacan, which is um, further down south. And um, they met because because my aunt had a boyfriend who used to smuggle drugs, um, and and so they needed an, another uh, yeah a mule. They needed another mule, and so they they my my aunt convinced my mom to like hang out with my dad who is like smuggling drugs. And then eventually they just all started doing it. And then like just um, doing that part. And so eventually my dad and my uncle, it it gets, it gets, it gets wishy-washy because my mom, like when she tells me these stories, it's all, it's all from like her word and like uh, my aunt's words. So it gets wishy-washy, but like they were part of the mob and then they, my dad had friends and like ties because of the mob in like U.S. immigration. 
Um, and so, and so he made a few calls and they, they did whatever they did. They got my aunt residency, not my mom, because my mom stayed in Mexico. And so once my auntie was over here, everything was going great. And then eventually they got, um, they got caught. My dad went to jail. My uncle went back to Mexico where he was ultimately like found by the mob and then was like, for lack of a better word, executed um, for like reasons that we don't know. Um, I mean, I'm sure they know, but like they probably didn't tell me. Um, But I know that like that, that happened. And then that kind of left my aunt and my aunt in the U.S. kind of like on her own Mm. with two kids. And then, and they used to have a lot of money and now they have no money. Mm. Right. And so they're like forced to work. And so my mom um, offers to like go help my auntie in Santa Ana because they're sisters, right? So like I'm gonna go over there and my mom is pregnant. So she starts her like journey from- Pregnant with you, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And at that time, like crossing the border was easier, and, but it just, it was, it was, more, it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because my mom, like a pregnant, like, I don't know how old, I think she was like six, six like months in, maybe four, four to six months. Anyways, um, she walks like part of the desert because that's one part. So she walks like, I don't know, she told me like it was like a day, I don't know, it was like a full day, like a day and some change where she walked from like her house to the borderline, which is like just straight through desert with a bunch of folks that we paid like 2000 American dollars at the time, which was insane uh, for this guide to like guide her across the, like guide her across the desert, which is what happens. And a lot of people take this journey like by themselves because they don't have the money or like they, and they get lost and they die. And there's so many like Jane Doe's and John Doe's dead there's whole movie movies about it and um, it just happens every day but anyways my mom makes it to the border is trying to figure out like how to get across she's too big to hide like in plain sight or whatever and a lot of the back then a lot of the it was it was easy enough where like people would fall asleep and then like as they're crossing in the middle of the night whoever's like checking the the border is just going to be like okay everybody's asleep just go it was like a thing that's actually how my cousin like she was a she was smaller she's like 10 um but she crossed the border by sleeping in a random like car like in the in the passenger right so she was just like oh that's just a kid and she's asleep yeah carry on anyways so they couldn't find a spot for my mom she's too big they like we pay extra money to like have this truck thing it was like a pickup truck um, and so it was a special pickup truck with like a hollowed, like inside <laughs> next to the engine, right? And because nobody would check the engine. Why would you check the engine? Nothing's there except for the engine. Yeah. Um, and it was easier. So they hollowed that shit out and they put my mom in there, pregnant ass lady for like maybe f- the traffic at the border is usually like two hours to cross. Oh my and God. then. And so she said she spent like maybe four hours, three hours, like next to a fucking like hot burning engine. And she still has like, she has a huge scar on her like stomach that like is just a like a burn mark. It, like the scar tissue is like closed in on itself because she said it was like 
it was up against her skin, but she couldn't move, and it was just like burning the fuck out of her for like four hours. And it's this is like enclosed space with like this is an enclosed air. space. Uh, she said it was dark, and there was like hella holes, right, mm-hmm. where she was getting like some air, but she said it was mostly like I don't know, just engine. Wow, engine. That's insane. And so she made it across. And they, she thankfully made it to San Diego is where they go. And then it's fucked up because the people who, like, we paid so much money to do this for us, like, their job is over once they cross. So they literally just dropped my mom off at, like, a jack-in-the-box. And then, like, my mom had to figure out, like, how to use a payphone. She said, like, how to get, like, a dollar from people without having to speak the language. Like, she literally just needed a phone call. And then, like, she had like pieces of paper everywhere in her backpack because she's been like frantically trying to find my aunt's phone number because she like legit thinks that she's gonna die um because the guy was just like okay well good luck congratulations you're in the u.s figure it out that sounds traumatic yeah and so eventually she does and like makes it to santa Ana, and and, like it's insane how our parents like do this right because if you like put me in japan or something like i'd be done for like i don't know what to do (laughs) what's like what's happening? Where's the bathroom? Yeah. Um, without speaking the language or anything, they they like taught themselves like baking, and then after that they started. They also taught themselves like like wood wood shop because they worked at a door like making manufacturer. I don't know how these ladies did it, but they're badass because Just I can't hustling. do shit compared like yeah. <laughs> figuring out how to survive. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it was wild stuff, wild stuff. And yeah, and then eventually I was born and I was Garden Grove living. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's insane. I mean, that's a crazy story. We, Ida and I both have parents who have, you know, a story that's unconventional and we hear about it and we're like, we have empathy for it. And we're like, we don't know how we would have handled that situation. The story of your family is like more kind of out there you're you know you're in your mom's belly this whole time and then you're here you hear all these stories later on when as you're growing up I don't know at what age but um, I'm curious how that affected you and and like when you heard this stuff for the first time like what was your reaction how do you what do you think Latino culture is like surrounded in machismo right define machismo please Toxic masculinity, um, like patriarchy, like men run the show no matter what. Thank you. So, and and by that, I like in my family, I'm one of two men. Everyone else are are, they're women, super strong women. And um, they didn't see their own power. They don't see it uh, because they're still stuck in their ways. But um, they don't see it. When you say they don't see it, you mean today. Yeah, today, I, like they, I don't know, they, they, they're quick to fall back on the, on the patriarchy and like just following men mm. and like, like uh, I have a stepdad who isn't the greatest person in the world and I know that he could say anything and my mom would just have to like go with it because she just thinks that because, you know, they're married, she has to do what he says or like have to do that. And so that kind of put me in a position of power at like, 12. So going back to your question, like, when did I hear this? 12, 13. Right. And then continue to elaborate, like as the years went on. And like, as I continued to grow and like understand more, I asked 
more questions. I asked more questions because in the beginning it was like, I'm 13 years old. You're telling me my dad was a mob boss. You're telling me that like he went to jail and that he pulled some strings at like U.S. immigration. And it all sounds sick to me. <laughs> it all sounds yeah. like, like, like he was dope. He was over here being a gangster gangster. And like, I, kind of, I looked up to that because I didn't know anything else. Right. So I, I knew my dad, but I don't remember him at all. Cause he left, he 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 like went to jail and then Mexico and then just left our family at when I was like nine, and so like which would make sense by why like my mom would tell me now that I'm thinking about it and saying it out loud that like it would take me two years to be like wait where's dad, and then and then my and then my mom would tell me the stories right, uh, but but yeah to me at, at that age it sounded badass and I was like man I like I don't know this person but he sounds cool as. Fuck. He went to jail. He's over here, like, escaping jail, selling drugs, shit that I'm seeing on, like, TV. Like, my dad is a gangster, and that's dope. Um, and then and then later on, uh, well, now as an adult, I'm like, yo, that shit was crazy. Like, he put my mom in a lot of danger. He put himself in a lot of danger. Like, what kind of, like, person, like, what kind of dad does that? Yeah. And um, and so it's a, it's, a, it's definitely like two different feelings, but I'm a I'm a more calm individual nowadays, and like just kind of I I like to take things in for what they are and just kind of accept that they happened, um, and it's it's a it's a part of all of us, right? Like our trauma is what makes us, I think. And so yeah, hearing that was just was, was cool. I think it affected me in like my confidence because I knew that my dad is somebody. And even though I don't know him, you could be in trouble if somebody finds out, right? Because I have like, and I would tell my friends, right? Like I would tell my friends like, oh yeah, no, my dad is in the mob and like, don't fuck with me because I'll I'll fuck you up. Or like. (laughs) I love that. And like, I never knew my dad, right? Like he was, they they never called me on it because why would you? Um, But um, because also like my sister, there's, there's a sister floating around. Um, in this time, Nancy, and she's, when I was 12, she was already in the mix. And, and by in the mix, I mean, like, involved in like gang life. So when I'm telling these kids, like, yo, my dad is in the mob, and then slash, my sister is known in the streets to be like, part of a gang. And she was dating at the time, my nephew's dad, who was, um, he was like the leader of the gang of Santa Ana. Mm-hmm. And he was like the leader of the, so everyone knew who this guy was. Mm-hmm. And so I'm saying as a middle schooler, again, going right back, that's why I think like people never like questioned me or like checked me on it. Um, because if they, if somebody was like, okay, well, let me see your dad. Uh, I don't know what I would do. I would have to fight somebody for real, which was like normal, but not because your dad's not here. Thanks for sharing that. That That's like, gives a lot of context and brings up a lot, a lot of questions on my end. So like growing up in Santa Ana, uh, it's, what is it? Like in your high school, for example, like what was the racial breakup? I want to say like maybe 60 to 70% Latino Hispanic. That's interesting. So like with that being the case and you having like strong family ties like Mexico and certain like lifestyles and whatnot, which I think would be looked at as potentially cool or powerful or whatever. I don't know. You tell me, but you have that going, but then you're also talking about how, you know, you also want it to be white, uh, like at the same time. I'm curious, like that must've been confusing. And I'm curious, like 
if you could like speak to that a little bit more like yeah yeah what you have um and it was a great segue that you asked about like the demographic of the school because it it like pertains to this because um so 70 percent right latino hispanic and then they're split up by gang first right and then it's red and blue and then another split happens with like central american um folks who like are also have their gang so that's a mm. three-way split and then there's a uh, rocker kids which <laughs> we called rockers right so like uh, white people Aha, so that's where I landed myself, right? And that's <laughs> in that subsection, and they were rockabilly. And so I was, and so I was, you're still, you're still the gang member. You're, you still have the credentials. You're just part of a different gang in a subsection. The umbrella is blue, right? The color blue and the folks who rep that. Mm -hmm. And then in that, they're like rockabillies. And then there's like people who just want to bang for no reason. But like, yeah, so I fell in the subsection of like, of rockabilly where i wore the leather jackets and like oh, i was man. like a, I, I was like a gangster who had like you know what i mean i was a, the, with the with the cuffed up pants and my hair every day and like <laughs> i carry I, car no I, I carried a blade with me yeah i had a comb and a blade always wow. and because because you always have to like you know just do your hair right <laughs> after um, oh, man. there's a lot of pomade i can't, um, I can't imagine that i'm trying to imagine you doing that <laughs> Oh, no, yeah. I, I woke up early, bro, to do my hair. I woke up, like, at 6 to go to school at 8 just to get, make sure I had the, like, the right angles. Because, yeah, you got to have a pompadour. And then I even dyed my hair. Like, I had a blonde streak that went through my hair. Um, Damn, I got to I gotta see some of these pictures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, during, yeah, I think I have, like, one maybe on MySpace. But, like, <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. And I, it was super dangerous because... I don't know, because I wanted to be white, but I had these credentials. I had to like kind of work harder, right? To like prove myself. So sorry, backing up like this rockabilly group. I don't know if I said that right, but mm -hmm. is yeah. that, were they Latino or was it a mix or what was it? It was, yeah, they were all Latino. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah. Do you think your perception, your like want or hope need to be white was coming more so from stuff like movies and TVs, but then like in your uh, like social dynamic or in the demographics of your school, you're mostly around Latino Hispanic people, but like what you felt like you wanted to be was just not that. Like it wasn't that you were around a bunch of white people, so you wanted to be like that. It was like, that's what you were seeing. That's what's portrayed. So you wanted to be that, but what was around you looks more so like you. Is that? That is spot on. Okay. Yeah. And I actually had realized that until you said it right then. So I cool. guess I was more Bye. like low key, low key wanting to be white and then like acted what I looked like at school. Right. I guess that makes more sense. Right. You kind of alluded to it earlier, but like just digging into it one more time. Why? What was it about being white that attracted you or like that? Was it just that? it was on TV and whatever's on TV is cool or was it more the safety of, of being white or what was it? I just thought they had the most fun, which mm. I know now is not true. I don't know. They just live, they're always white people I find are always like happy and I just don't, 
I don't know why. Every like, I see them on the street. They're like, "What are you happy about?" And they're just happy to be white. And I guess I, maybe I wanted that, but like that's just, that's not exciting. I liked I liked my I like my life. I love the hood. I like being you know, having learned all those lessons like that, jumping around like having. There's a lot of people in the world who have never been punched in the face, right? Yeah, and that's and that, okay. <laughs> and that's and that's and that's something that like helps you grow. It's a it's a weird experience to like feel adrenaline like that, like from physical, like interesting. And it, it and it's a it's a weird thing, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And it's scary, and like being knocked out sucks. But like again, a, a lot of my wisdom comes from like movies. So in Fight Club, they like they say uh, like you know, not die without any scars, do you? Like, you got to live. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've always, like, kind of lived like that. Like, I want to try stuff. I want to do stuff. I want to get, I want to, like, you want to really want to fight? Let's let's fight. It's going to suck, but let's, let's do it. Interesting. I also kind of wonder that, and it makes sense to me now that this has kind of changed because uh, life looks a lot different for you as an adult as it did when you were a kid and a teenager. But I kind of wonder if part of, like, you know, wanting to be like jackass and stuff like jumping off of roofs and whatever else (laughs) and just walking down the street and just smiling and being happy like I wonder if any of that had to do with uh lack of stability at home and so wanting like stimulation through other things as well and seeing a bunch of white people on tv jumping off of mountains into (laughs) water with a parachute might be like something that's like interesting to you but then now it's like you're an adult and you've like seen all this stuff now and you might you know want the calm and the chill much more than the ramped up yeah, right. intensity yeah i think i think again you're spot on um are you a therapist that's great no Good actually stuff, i'm an engineer Thank oh you. right on right on right yeah on. just kidding <laughs> um no yeah i uh, i appreciate that because uh, these are things that i hadn't like realized and like hearing them out loud and then getting feedback on it because i don't like i should go to therapy more where these type of things would come up and like I could work through them. Um, but it's just been difficult to like get a process around like wanting to go to therapy. Want me to drop stats on you? It takes people three times of seeking therapy to actually go through with it. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm on drop number that. two. Well, good. As you should. Next time. <laughs> so I want to move on a little bit to, so we talked about Santa Ana and kind of what the experience was like there and feel free to go back to it if there's um there's interesting points but what i know you from is you know the bay area so we're uh ida and i grew up in the bay area in mountain view and went to mount like you know mountain view high school and all that so at some point you ended up in the bay area and i'm curious where'd you end up How'd you end up in a in a position where you're in like, you know, Los Altos Mountain View? That's probably like a, a completely different environment than somewhere like a Santa Ana. And then, how did it feel? Yeah, how did it feel going into that environment? And did you feel different when you came to a vastly white and more like wealthy environment? Um. Yes, I didn't go straight to Los Altos area. Um, my my mom lost the um, 
not lost. She like just quick. She was tired of it. She was tired of that door job. And so, and so my uncle who lives in San Jose offered her a position as like a waitress over here and her English was getting better. And so, and the, the restaurant was getting like good money. So, and then she figured like, why the f not? My kid's not the best at school. Like I'm not taking him from anything. I'm sure was her thought process. I never actually asked her like if she thought of me when like that initial move, but yeah. And then I, so they offered her the job and then I remember her telling me I'm going to San Jose. If you're down, if you want to come, you're more than welcome to. And if not, then I'll just check in with you whenever. And you can live with your aunt and uncle um, because they, they also, they love me. And, um, and so they, they, they were like down to take care of me like financially and like everything, because it's essentially like they were taking in another kid because my mom wasn't like giving them like monthly money or anything. It was just like, Hey, my son really likes your family and I'm moving to San Jose. Can you keep him kind of thing? Because you're my sister. And so, I mean, as you heard in the story before, my auntie owed my mom a big favor, I'm sure. <laughs> and like, um, just, she took it on. And, um, but I actually chose to go with my mom because I figured that like, I don't know, there was nothing at that point. I was, I was going into like freshman high school and I was like already contemplating like, what the f am I doing in this gang? Like I'm already part of the gang life. I started, that's when I started like thinking about other things and like, just, I don't know. I think my, like, I've always felt like I've, I've been a creative and like a weird, like a, just a weird creative person and like people right and part of that group which is why i always like i know how to fight i know how to do be the physical tough guy but that's not me and i don't like doing it and like it's it makes me feel weird and like anyways i started like just thinking more like like my mom i'm seeing my mom get older right i'm seeing her having to work every day and like how like she's becoming just older and older and slower and it and it sucks because here i am and i can't even get a beat in a science class. I'm an idiot, right? But I didn't leave. I didn't leave the gang life, but I did go. I started my first year in San Jose. I started off high school and it was, it was the first thought is dangerous for me because I'm coming from Southern California where the majority of the gang members, if you see any, rep the same color. So usually you're, you're in friendly zones. Um, but coming to Northern California, where the red folks um, originate from, um, the majority out there is the opposite color. And if you know, if you know, you know. So like if, you, if you're from if you from if you're from the other side, you can I like I can tell I can describe to you what a Norteño looks like. And I'm sure they can describe what a Sureño looks like. Really? Right. Like we're all. Yeah. Like if, if you like the long hair. Mm. The English, they speak English, the majority, mm. um, instead of the Spanish, um, they, they look like they're from like Oakland because they are mm. and like East Palo Alto and like just all this like baggy clothes. They, they like resemble a lot of the black culture Ah, interesting. and they're, they're used to saying like the N word and stuff and it's mm. normal to them. Whereas on the opposite side, it's more 
like we're in tune with our culture. Like we speak Spanish the most, most of the mm. time we cut our hair bald. We don't like intermingle with like black folks or like black gangs mm. or like Tongans even. And, and like, that's just a no, no, because we're like stuck in, well, they are stuck in that way of, of like just our own, like we need to like be, be proud of the Raza. And if you like, if you're not down with this, then you gotta be something else. Um, so did, did you buy into that? Like, were, was that how you moved as well? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I bought into that because my first day of freshman school in here, I was already like weirded out. And then um, I look like the opposition. So I like my my tour guide of the high school. And I remember specifically because it me and i was just like what like what is happening like i'm trying to like not be that person right because i'm already thinking all that shit. and so my first day they give you in high school the because i started in the middle of the year they give you a tour like oh this is all the flashrooms and anyways at the end of it the tour it was it was this mexican dude and he's like say hey, so like so what's up so like what do you bang and um and i like told him i was like i don't i'm not trying to do that like i, I don't because i knew like if i told him it's gonna spread and it's gonna be because I'm the minority here and I'm going to kill or hurt on my first day. So I was like, nah, I don't bang, bro. And then he's like, well, let me tell you something. It's not you choose to be, is that you have to be. And I remember him saying like, it's because he like looked at me straight up because he was a senior looking at a freshman kid going, you have to choose something. You have to be. I'm not asking you like as a banger, like I'm asking you, like you're going to have to pick a side mm. and like you have to or else you're going to get hurt. But like so, in, in a sense of like looking out for you, like I don't want to see you die on your first day or or was it like a more of an aggressive like pick it sides? Was an, it was an aggressive like mm. pick sides because gotcha. at the end he like his whole demeanor changed because obviously he was like working with the office and he had to do the shit, right. So my only assumption is that he was like a peewee uh, in, in the other gang or something. And by that, I mean like somebody like lightweight, you know what I mean? And so he was like either probing because like, like I said, we're, you can tell I was bald and like, and like I wore a tank top or something and I brought a folder and like khaki pants and like Cortez shoes. Mm. <laughs> like I was, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I might as well put a bandana on my back pocket. Like it's, it was awful. But yeah, it was, I remember that like you have to be. And so I went home and I was just like, well, I guess, I guess we're doing this. And then. Um, so what did you do? What did you, did you choose or what did you do? You have to be, man. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. yeah. And so I chose what was familiar to me and then just started like, yeah, just hanging out with them. And then kind of the same like cycle happened just in a different place where I like started meeting friends. They were gangbangers. They like, they invited me to like parties and, shit and like selling and trading and doing everything, doing all the that I was already used to. And I was just like, okay, well, here we go again. Like, this is normal then. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to clarify, you, you chose, you chose to remain like what your side, right? Or you, right. okay, got it. Yeah. So did that cause issues like at school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's where a lot of the like fighting and like, there was like stabbings and like, it's, I mean, San Jose, man, it was like East San Jose. And, and like my freshman year, I saw like one like rumble, which was like in the quad. It was the Tongans versus the black folks. And they just like went at it, bro. Like, and, and like I'm a freshman and I'm looking at these like borderline adults, like 
each other up, right? Like it's 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 nuts. Yeah. Um, but it did create a lot of problems because it's the people that I hang out with. Like eventually, me getting kicked out and like going to like continuation school. Ah, okay, got it. So you eventually got kicked out of that high school, and then is that when you ended up over in? Yes. Yeah, so, so we moved. Yeah, from there we moved to Mountain View. Got um, it. Yeah, my mom got um, she got promoted, and she was a. Uh, she was she became like the like the night manager or whatever of the restaurant, which was cool for her. Uh, she was still like working hella, but we lived in Mountain View. We could afford our own place. Um, we had, I mean, our own place. By that I mean like I got to sleep on the couch, um, <laughs> which I which I which was better than the floor because I usually slept on the floor, right? With a whole, really with a whole bunch of other people, yeah. So it was a two bedroom house, and it was my mom, my uncle, my sister her two kids, my cousin, Paul, and then me, context. Before that, we lived in San Jose. My uncle came with us. So it was my mom, uncle, sister, and then me all living in one room. Yeah, with that uncle who like gave us a gave us a shot to like live in his house or whatever. Like, yeah, you can have the room. So we all lived in that room. Wow. And then there's still one bathroom and I have IBS. So oh, <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was a bad, bad, bad time. I mean, oh, for no. them. <laughs> Shouts out but, IBS. Shout out. <laughs> it's a that. real problem, bro. Oh, no. <laughs> um, that's the real gangster is gluten. <laughs> God. Don't know about that one. <laughs> but uh <laughs> Wow. But yeah, okay. so then we, we moved to Mountain View and I got to go to this the like I got like I, yeah, we moved around a lot trying to find a spot in Mountain View because we spent or my mom it was like bouncing from like like room to like apartment to like roommates to eventually like our own place in Mountain View. Right. Um, so I hopped around a lot of high schools. So I got to experience like Palo Alto High, mm-hmm. uh, which is the whitest. Like, that was the whitest, is the whitest school I've ever been to. Yeah. Ever, ever, ever. I didn't know you went to Palo Alto High. For how long? Yeah, I went there for like maybe probably like half a year, honestly, before we moved again. And so like I hated doing that um, because being the new kid sucks. And like I didn't connect to any of like my high school like peers like that you know what i mean you know how people that like celebrate the like oh 10 year anniversary if i were to go to my 10 year anniversary for the re- high school reunion i would know and i wouldn't know anybody nobody would know me like why like i don't have that kind of thing i don't want to cut off this part of your story so tell me if i am um but it kind of brings me to like when i met you was like what 10 years after you left palo alto high school probably mm-hmm. so I got the fast forwarded version. And I think uh, one of the first things I remember hearing from you um, that I was like, huh, question mark, because I didn't know enough about it, but you identified as Chicano. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know what that was. I met you at the Boys and Girls Club, which was in Redwood City, primarily Latino for the most part. Um, And so I was uh, heavily a person of privilege walking into that. And Ruben so kindly taught me many, many, many times through lots of conversations uh, what it's like to own your privilege, even if in that moment you don't recognize how much you have. Um, And so I'm kind of curious to have had, first of all, it's a lot of experiences to have before you're in ninth grade. So I'm just saying, like, it's that's a lot of uh, moving, a lot of uh, 
cultural stuff, a lot of family stuff going on. So it's just a kind of a, it's heavy to have gone through all of that at such a young age. Um, and, And so for me, when I met you, it's fast forward to when you're like 25, so much of what you described is not what came through when I met you, right? I remember me, I remember meeting you and you being like, I'm Chicano. This is what that is. I'm hella proud of where I come from. I let, I love my culture. I don't want to like, you're not really like white people, but you're also not uh, trying to be white. And so for me, having met you at a stage where you kind of had figured it out, um, it's interesting to me to like hear kind of how you got there. Can you describe to me what you meant when you identified as Chicano? Do you still identify as that? And then how do you get to this place of understanding and uh, acceptance within yourself where you're not trying to be these other things? That's a hell of a question, Milani. Thank you. Um, yes. I'm going to work backwards because that's how I'm remembering what you just said. So when you met me, yes, I was, I'm not like, I hate white people, but I did also go through that stage of like, white people, man, they are like really the colonizers, they, they're shit up and they have been for years and they probably will for a little bit longer um, <laughs> until they run out. But like, uh, I did go through that phase. Um, I still identify as Chicano, Mexican American, um, because that's just, it's only after you've lost everything, right, that you're free to gain anything. I love that. And so I got to the point of, like, I lost the gang. I lost my the family that I knew because I had to leave it consciously, right? And so all that I had left was my identity. And I didn't know what that was because I was still, like, I'm too brown for the white kids and then to white for the brown kids because if you place me in mexico city i stick out in the way that i speak my spanish because everyone else speaks different and i thought i was like good but i'm not um and so i i I identify with that because I, i like it's all that i had left so i like really stepped into that power Thank you, Ida. I stepped, I stepped into that power of like, of, of just like, this is who I am. And I don't like, it was a beautiful realization uh, that took me a very long time because I was confused, but it was a beautiful realization that like, I'm, I'm not Mexican and I'm not American. I'm both. And that's dope because I'm not the first one. I won't be the last one. And my people have been here in the United States. Like I'm as American as whatever. And I'm also like, I'm both. I'm Mexican too, because like Aztec blood runs through me. Right. But I was also born in the land of the free, baby. (laughs) But like, (laughs) and so, and so I love me like, you know, hamburgers and hot dogs, but like tacos are the shit. So like that, that's what gives me an an advantage, I think, in life. And instead of like trying to deny that, I really embraced it and like went full throttle because, again, I had nothing. And so because I wasn't technically smart by like book smarts, right, in the school system, I wasn't successful because I didn't even have a job. I, I had no friends and because I switched schools so much and then I had like no family because they pretty much they were gone most of the time because they were out there supporting right so like all i had was my culture and then like it took me a while of like trying to figure out how i was going to get into it and then eventually i like discovered higher education and like college after barely 
finishing high school, just just barely getting that last credit in. <laughs> I graduated through the diploma way. I hate it. And then I just I decided to take a chance on college and like I took a poetry class and 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 like I discovered that like people like me not only write but like we have hella books out <laughs> and like we make beautiful art and like this like being a part of that is was so empowering for me and like really fueled because of my whole life I've been American because I know that but I didn't have a connection or like a strong connection as to like how I'm connected to this culture until it was taught to me. Right. right? And it was taught to me in higher education mm. where I found these books, where I found these amazing teachers that looked like me, that like talked like me, that like wrote like me. And they like thought that I was an intellectual, right. right. Based, based on other standards outside of the educational system. Mm. And, and, and that was really empowering. And like, that's why, that's what got me into the boys and girls club because I wanted to like, I know how good that feels. And if I could provide that feeling for somebody who's younger than me or is lost like I was, then that would be the most rewarding thing in the world. Because I know that I have this thought in my head that like after 26, like time started working against me. Hmm. Right. And hmm. I have like this like weird sense of impending doom hmm. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that like my time that's left hmm. here in this realm that, that like we can that I can be the nicest, the whatever most contributing, like the opposite of what I think that I have been. Hmm. Right. Interesting. And so I like I really categorized myself as a bad guy hmm. because I did bad things for bad people hmm. um, with 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 intention, with bad intentions. Because yeah. you can always say that, like, underneath it all, like, they might have something, like, good. But yeah. I, can, I, can, I can seriously say that when I was doing those things, I was doing them because I wanted to do them mm. for, right, like, for myself. And it's and it's fucked up. Right. But it's something that, like, I have to deal with. Right. And that's what I mean, that, like, this journey of life, it, like, it, it, it's supposed to make you feel stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and I've come to that realization. I'm 30, 31 now. It's been a long ass journey and, and my goal for what's left in, in this realm is to just just be good, mm -hmm. man, because because I, I want to like I think the karma is real and like totally bad thing. You know, what I mean, I, I always like just I've always seen myself. So I do I do the most to try to be good mm -hmm. and give back mm -hmm. because I remember not having Mm -hmm. I remember being lost mm -hmm. and like having nothing and like, I'm not the first one mm -hmm. and I won't be the last, mm -hmm. but if I can help one kid, then like, you know, Tupac said it himself, I can help one kid who like changes the world. Then that's enough. Yeah. Then I don't care. Yep. It sounds like you kind of went from a either or when it came to culture to a and, mm. um, right. Like it's something actually we use a lot in therapy because a lot of our, uh, a lot of the society, we we say, we'll say, let's say, um, you're really smart, but uh, you read that thing wrong. Something like that, right? Like, we use but. We don't use and. And it, it makes you decide on one side or the other. It's very polar. Um, but when you describe it, it's almost like you kind of went from like, yeah, I, I, I wanted to be white, which was one side of it. And then you got to a place where you're kind of like, 
Yeah, I'm not one or the other, though. I'm actually both at the same time existing together as a mix together. And that in itself is something. And so it sounds like coming to that, that it can be both and you don't have to choose was something that created a lot of like understanding and peace within yourself, I guess. That's how it sounds to me, at least. I don't know if that's on point. Yeah, no, yeah, I would agree. And also it sounds like one thing you said was interesting to me that I didn't know um, was the part about going back to higher education and then uh, having teachers that are, first of all, studying like writing and poetry, I assume from people with Mexican background or who were Mexican, it seemed like it gave you some inspiration and like uh, open your eyes to like, oh, wow, my culture is actually can produce X, Y, Z, like this is sick and I can produce yeah. this. And like, it actually is, makes me cooler that I have this behind me. That's like very inspiring to me. And like me personally, I would say I'm in a stage where I'm, I definitely identify more with my American side. Like I'm, I consider myself American yeah, it's it's interesting. So would you say, like, learning about it from an external perspective, and I assume with teachers who were Mexican, like, seeing, like, having that education helped you in that process? I don't think it was, like, learning it from them. It was just learning it in general. Mm, interesting. So I didn't, because, like, we like like the the educational system where I was in like they didn't teach me Mexican American studies. I don't. Oh. I mean now it's a requirement. It's beautiful. It's a requirement in LA and it's amazing. Um, but like I I so I joined a, a club called Puente in, um, in in Foothill and they are the ones who like just what do you call it springboarded me miles away from where I was because it was a group of just intellectually amazing Chicanos and like activists that like took me in because they saw me wandering around. So it was kind of like the same situation that I was in at, at Palo Alto high school, except that this time somebody took me in mm. and was like, Hey, have you heard of this club? We're about this, this, and this. And then I'm like, that's where my stage of like hating white people, because there's a lot of people in that group who are like super on one side. Mm -hmm. And I've, and like, I've always been the type to like, okay, but like, we can't just like generalize like that, even though it's white people. And like, that's where we started having like discussions around mm -hmm. it. And like, I'm not going to lie. They like had me in the first half and like they, they like were starting to convince me. I was like, man, they might be all of them. I don't know. I don't know, brother. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, but like, it just takes, it just takes time and like perspective. And, um, life has taught me a lot of times to just be patient because like things will come and they, like the universe always unfolds as it should. And that that's true even with like self-knowledge and like self-care, like self-evolution like it doesn't have to happen. It obviously, it doesn't happen at the same time for everybody. And sometimes it doesn't even happen at all, right? But yeah, <laughs> going back to that, uh, just, just, yeah, I, I think that was a turning point. I think it was just valuable. I think because they looked, the teachers looked like me while they were teaching me this new information, just added a new like dimension to it. Because not only is this a real thing, but you're validated and look at all the history that your people have to like 
So like this whole time, I'm thinking that I have to choose sides and then they show me, no, there's been people like you and this is the history of that. Like, and then it was just like, holy shit, I belong here. Like it's, 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 it's a crazy feeling. And like that, it happened the same thing when I went to Mexico even, like, right? Like when I speak, it, it like you can tell, right? Um, because my Spanish isn't the best sometimes, but I can like work it because I'm fluent, fluent. It just sounds different. But being like surrounded by people who are like all speaking the language that I speak and like, it's weird to speak English and like, yeah, like the white people are like sticking out and like, it, it, it's a different, it's a different feeling. It's, yeah. a, it's a, it's a crazy thing. Like seeing all that culture and history and like the museums even, and like, just, it, it it's a weird connection that I like, I know, and it's, it's hard to explain, but like, I don't know. I was the, I was up at that pyramid, man. I've been there before. It was dope. <laughs> it's interesting. You say that. I thought about that a lot actually for myself, just cause we can't really go back. We can't go to Iran. We haven't been to Iran and our parents haven't gone back since they left. And so that experience of being surrounded by people who look like you or sound like you is actually something I've just never, ever experienced to like a great extent. So hearing you say that, it's like, that's a really cool thing uh, when you get to actually experience that. Like I imagine one day when I do at least visit maybe like the Middle East, I'll have something similar to it just in terms of features looking the same as me for once and like people walking by and it being a language I might understand. Um, but that it, it, it really is like a, a noticed experience on my end that that's never my experience that I'm like, Oh, everyone around me kind of looks similar to me. And so it's cool that you have this like moment where you're like, nah, yeah, these people like opened their arms and they accepted me and they already are what I was trying to become without me even knowing it. You know what I mean? Uh, I totally agree. And also what it sounds like is, uh, you kind of found community. It sounds like finding community, like, had a huge impact and I'm, I'm a huge believer in that like surrounding yourself with people who are supportive and that you share values with I think I mean you have to have friends and and associates who are not the same as you as well but it just goes to show like the power of that and like how it can be the beginning of like a huge life understanding that you didn't have um something that I personally want to eventually look into for myself when it comes to like Persian culture. Um, but it's inspiring to hear you talk about it and to hear the impact it had on you. Cause like what you've been through and like the, where you started and where you are now is like so inspiring. Um, so like hearing you talk about that is just, it's cool and inspires me to want to, you know, dig into my history a little bit and see if I find like tidbits, uh, like you said, that are, um, make me feel closer to it given that like I can't really go there or feel uh feel super close to it you know yeah I definitely feel that I totally agree with that just because Ruben was a big part of my process in figuring out my identity just as I mean we met at a time where I was also aggressively trying to figure that out and was thrown into a situation that was showing me who I was uh every day in my work um and a big part of that was Ruben's uh 
perspective of that you can be both cultures that they can exist at the same time and that's something I remember uh in our in our friendship in our dynamic that it was a big thing I got from you was to watch somebody else from a different culture be so proud of their culture made me more interested in my own because I was like okay like there's good and bad in both in all cultures right but and there's this is someone who's seen a ton of stuff in their life and they still found the good in their own culture, there's got to be a way I can find some in mine too. So, I, I mean, I don't know if I've ever really said that to you, but i that's something that's stuck with me forever uh, since I've met you and on my process of figuring out like what my identity is, that I'm not Iranian and I'm not American, but I'm, I'm both. And that's a thing in itself. And so hearing your story now, kind of like start to finish type thing, uh, it's nice to hear it again. And then it also reminds me like, oh man, I remember now I know where I got some of these like thought processes from, from hearing the stuff that you talked about. <laughs> so know that. Oh, that's nice. Thank you so much for saying that. Appreciate it. Thanks Ruben, honestly, for sharing all that. This has been a super inspiring conversation. And like I said, one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is just like, it's like therapy for myself. So I, I appreciate you taking the time and it's always nice to hear hear your insights and i guess just to wrap it up i'm curious like to hear a little bit about where you are today um with your identity with with life in general like you've been through a lot um you've experienced so many things a lot of people haven't and won't ever experience so i'm curious uh what's what's it looking like in life right now life is good um, life is really good um, right now. I've worked really hard and I've met like a lot of amazing supportive people who have brought me to this weird but like super rewarding journey or like destination here in Kansas City. I work, um, I'm a designer and uh, I design uh, experience with, a, with an amazing team and, and having all that experience, like I'm still, I'm still Chicano, I'm still from the hood. And so, like, as I am transitioning into this, like, more professional workspace as an adult, I want to remember who I, who I am always. And so I just want to be authentic and, like, be authentically myself. So I always, like, just carry myself. Like, the way I'm talking today is the way I talk to everybody else uh, because I try to keep, just keep it 100. And I'm still, I'm still a kid from the hood. And, like, going into these, like, new tech spaces is a whole new world because everyone – like just smells like privilege mostly, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, um, but they're all like, but they're all like really cool people for the most part. And just like really embracing and like inclusive and accessible to like, to me and like any questions that I might or might not have, because like I said, I like, I'll never, I'll never stop being a hood kid. And like, I'll never stop questioning things specifically when it comes to like my folks and my culture. Um, but like, being surrounded by all of this, like all of these resources now in life is, is strange. So I'm like my new, my new thing, my new goal right now is to like, be able to share that with people um, because I know what it feels like to be on the other side of this. And like, I, I have worked hard and like to have what I have today. And like I said, in the beginning, um, just kind of want to, give back as much as possible and that's where like that's where i'm at today is just giving back enjoying my new career that like my connections and friendships and like support system has like provided for me um and then just kind of continuing that and showing like 
kids or anybody that like we're out here man and like i'm 31 and like i went into this journey late in the game and and i'm still here and i'm still like thriving i think i'm I'm still out here living, man. I'm still thriving. Crushing uh, it. Totally. You know what I mean? Don't there's even downplay it. I mean, you're killing it. So <laughs> there's yeah. a saying in the hood that you gotta you gotta kill me to kill me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, I'll, I'll be around for a little bit, um, but I but I appreciate you all. And um, I yeah, if you ever if you ever need uh, some help, let me know. Or if you have any other questions, I appreciate y'all. Thanks, everybody. You'll definitely be hearing from us. <laughs> yes. All right. Thanks for listening to the So What Are You podcast. If you like this episode, please feel free to rate and review and share with your friends. Also, if any of you are looking for a therapist in California, feel free to reach out to me, Ida, through the practice I work for, Therapy Now SF. The link is in the bio.